Greetings again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of OSI Today, the podcast featuring news and views from around the Office of Special Investigations. I'm Wayne Amon from OSI Public Affairs, and in this edition, we continue our special series, My OSI Journey, which showcases the diversity and inclusion of our command-wide members. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by the Deputy Director of Behavioral Sciences, Mr. Terry Krebs. Sir, welcome aboard. So great to have you with us uh, on your first podcast with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to talk with you today. Now, before we uh, do kind of a deep dive into your OSI uh, career specifics and whatnot, uh, off mic, of course, we talked extensively about uh, your road to OSI was paved with a very unique lineage. Now, could you please uh, bring the listeners briefly up to date uh, on that very unique story of yours? Because it it does uh, uh, bear uh, talking about. Sure. Well, about a year ago, I started to become interested in, you know, the history of my family, which I really didn't know anything about, except that I had some Native American culture on one side of my family, and I wanted to explore that a little bit more. Right. So I sent off my uh, DNA tube to a couple different companies, and when I got the results back, I was kind of surprised to find out that I was 65% English. Oh, okay. Okay. So that was very surprising to me. So that caused me to to dig a little bit deeper. And what I was able to find out over the course of a year is that on one side of my family, my father's side, both lines from both his mother and uh, her parents go all the way back to the earliest settlers of the country. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. And what I found out more specifically is that I have a relative who actually came over on the second boat, the Fortune, in 1621 and was one of the actually earliest settlers in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And then I had several more relatives after that during the Great Migration come from England because they were Quakers and they were looking for religious freedom. Right. Now, you mentioned the second boat, the Fortune. That uh, that followed the, uh, the first boat, the Mayflower. Is that correct? That's correct. And eventually my... 10th great-grandfather passed away, and Martha Ford actually ended up marrying a guy named Brown that was actually on the Mayflower and continued to grow the family. Huh. Wow, that's, that's amazing. So uh, what else can you tell us about this? Well, what also was interesting was that all of this information I was able to document with no kidding, uh, actual records that were kept from that time up until now through birth records and death records and census records. And along the way, I found out that I have many relatives from both of those lines who ended up fighting in the Revolutionary War. Wow. Um, So... Very, very interesting. And so uh, as time passed, uh, I guess uh, you discovered some even more interesting facts about your lineage. Yes, it was. um, It's it's just very interesting to me because my family had no idea that we had this direct line that goes all the way back, very well documented to the earliest settlers of the country. And then to continue on and those who fought to make the, the country a country when we fought the Revolutionary War. So it was very interesting and surprising for me to find out. Wow. Now, uh, in our discussions, uh, again, before we uh, did this podcast today, Mr. Krebs, uh, you had also mentioned that uh, as time went on, uh, your uh, earliest members of your family line uh, moved westward in the United States. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So I was curious, like, you know, because I was born in Northern California and I grew up in the Valley of Oregon. And then I tried to figure out, well, how did my family move from 
the state of New York, the state of Massachusetts, in Vermont, New Hampshire, how did they get from there to here? And what helped them along was the Louisiana Purchase. Several of my family members um, had an opportunity to get land grants, which I have actual copies of the signed land grants that they were given to to move west. So they moved from that area to uh, Michigan and from Michigan to the Dakotas and from the Dakotas across to Oregon into the Valley of Oregon. So my great, my grandmother was actually born in North Dakota along the route of getting to Oregon. Wow. Now, again, you mentioned, uh, again, before you uh, uh, hit me the record button here today, that uh, uh, some of those in your lineage, uh, they uh, not only served in the Revolutionary War, but uh, they also uh, uh, served uh, in the uh, U.S. military as, as, as time went on uh, and as the, uh, you know, the centuries rolled along. Yeah, I, I have a, you know, a long history of my family, you know, serving in various forms of, of military service, including um, all the way from, you know, the Revolutionary War, fighting for Wisconsin um, in the Civil War, and then continued on through the, the World Wars. And one of my great uncles was one of the earliest paratroopers, like the Band of Brothers, but he fought in the Pacific uh-huh. So um, growing up as a child, and really, that's as far back as I knew anything about my family was like that group. Right. So right. any farther back, I have a picture of one of my relatives that fought in the Civil War for Wisconsin, and his name was George Washington Gaylord. Wow. And okay. he had a 100th birthday <laughs> party, and I have a photograph of him from his 100th birthday party. And that wow. was it. That's as far as I knew. Wow, that's amazing. That's uh, that's quite a story. Uh, now, how did uh, all this uh, uh, come to fruition for you as far as matriculating, you know, uh, into you becoming uh, a member of the military as well? Well, both of my brothers had served in the military, one of them in the Navy in Vietnam, and then one of my brothers in the Air Force. And he was a senior NCO when I was getting ready to graduate from high school. Right. So, of course, um, I wanted to join the military and because I had had an opportunity to, to be around that brother and to learn a lot about the Air Force, I knew that the Air Force is where I wanted to be. So in 1984, I signed up for delayed enlistment uh, right. for the U.S. Air Force, right. oddly enough, in a unit where Miss Linda Card was the senior NCO running the recruiting station. And Linda Card, of course, for those who may not know, is uh, the chief of public affairs for OSI today. Yes, one of her recruiters is the person who recruited me. <laughs> uh, good, good way to get a little plug for public affairs. Thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs> so, uh, so then, uh, uh, how did that, uh, that, how did that matriculate then for you as far as uh, when and how did you become interested, uh, you know, in law enforcement and subsequently in OSI to bring uh, folks uh, uh, a little more uh, as far as uh, you know today is concerned. Well, I I was always curious about law enforcement. You know, I I grew up in in an area where, you know, I I knew some people, some family friends that had worked in law enforcement. So when I came into the Air Force, I was a weapons loader. I I loaded bombs on F-4s, F-5s, and A-10s. One day, back when we used to get regular mail, I got a note that said, hey, there are too many weapons loaders. You can get out or retrain. So one of the retraining opportunities was special investigations. So I went over to the special investigations office and talked to them and I was close to PCSing. So I ended up going to my next assignment. Uh And when I got there, I got the same letter 
And I ran into an agent who's still in the command today named John Purcell. And John Purcell recruited me into OSI in 1990. Okay. But right at the end of that process, uh, Desert Storm started. Right. So right. Um, my unit was supporting Desert Storm, and I couldn't retrain at that time. So as soon as all the Desert Storm stuff was all done, I retrained into Air Force OSI in September 1991. I see. Now, uh, when your OSI career began back in 91, by the way, that was the year that I retired from active duty to kind of bring people to, you know, full, full circle here. Um, were there any specific challenges that you faced once you joined the command? And if so, uh, how did you overcome them? Well, you know, OSI, it was, it was tough to get into back then, you know, everything was paper-based. There was no email to do things quickly. Uh-huh. And it just was, a, you know, manning and timing situation for me. Right. So um, when I applied, I, I went into the OSI office and the first thing John Purcell asked me to do was a writing sample. And he came back to me and said, your writing is terrible. If you're serious about being an OSI agent, you need to take some college classes huh. and then you need to come back and then we'll take a look at you again. So um, I just had to make a decision, you know, what do I want to do? And those were actually the first college classes I ever took in the Air Force was English 101 and English 102 so that I could become a better writer for OSI. And I went back, redid the writing test, and John Purcell said, now we'll consider you. Well, that uh, brings home a good point, uh, sir, that uh, uh, being an OSI agent, you have to be able to be a communicator, too, I would imagine. Well, yeah, you have to, to, to be in OSI, it's, you have to be a good communicator. One or two ways. You got to be an excellent writer or an excellent verbal communicator. It's great if you're both, but if you're really good at one or the others, you can be successful and then just work on the other one as you go along. Right, so, right. and that's, and that's what I did. Like I, as a kid, like I stuttered a lot and I worked on getting over that and that helped me uh, focus on what I needed to do to, to communicate better, to do my job better. Cause really what we do is really about talking to people and listening to people. Right. Right. And I know that uh, plays a big part in, uh, you know, your current job as a uh, deputy uh, director of uh, behavioral sciences. Now, one other thing I wanted to touch on uh, before we move on is that uh, you've had a very eclectic uh, military background. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you began as, uh, as an enlisted troop, then became an officer, and now you're uh, a GS civilian. So uh, you've seen uh, OSI from uh, a whole bunch of different angles. Yeah, I came in as an E4 buck sergeant, which doesn't exist anymore. I ended up being promoted uh, to E5 staff sergeant. And then along the way, I was given an opportunity to apply and be selected for a commissioning program, which I did. And then I came right back into OSI as a second lieutenant. I did uh, 12 more years as an officer, retired, and then came back as a civilian. And so this year is my 30th year of OSI services in wow. all three areas. And I've done everything from, you know, the rookie crim agent to, right. um, you know, running programs to being an ops officer. Um, you know, the highlight of my career was probably being a commander in Baghdad in 2007 uh, during the surge. Sure. And, sure. Um, and then along the way at the end of my career, I ended up getting a master's degree in counseling and I became a licensed professional counselor uh-huh, when right. I retired from the air force. And that's kind of how my path led me to being able to support OSI in behavioral sciences. 
I see. Wow, that that's uh, one of the most eclectic uh, uh, recaps I think I've heard uh, in quite some time. Now, uh, given that 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 the eclectic nature of your experiences, sir, uh, and and the various jobs you've had. What uh, or who inspires you to do your best within OSI? Uh, is there something you could kind of pinpoint in that area? Well, you know, I, when I think about that, there, there's a couple things. You know, growing up, like I had, you know, two really great teachers that I still keep in touch with these days, Mr. Uh, Utler and Mr. Mitchell tree, both of those guys, which I really didn't know at the time growing up were, were former army folks from Vietnam. And, and they kind of set me on this path of like, you know, Hey, if you want to do something with yourself, like you, you you have to find it and kind of come to grips with it about, you know, where you kind of fit in. And then along the way in OSI, I had wonderful supervisors. My first, very important supervisor to me was John Macris, who's still around. And uh-huh. he's the one who kind of set me on the path of like doing the right thing and trying to do the right thing. When you make a mistake, you know, just resolve it and move on. Right. But really in OSI, you have an opportunity every day to impact lives on a significant level. Even in the smallest things that we do, we uh-huh. impact people's lives in a positive way. So really that opportunity to to help someone or to, help solve a problem or to help people have a better day. Um, that's really, you know, what drives me. I see. Now uh, this kind of a, a you know, uh, dovetails on that question uh, with what you just said, uh, would that be the most gratifying part of your job with OSI, whether it be in the past or currently? Well, it's, it's the people, right? Yeah, like, okay. we, like in OSI, like, just like you, like we've talked about your past experiences and everybody's got all these great different backgrounds. It's not like working in a shop where everybody's, you know, only done one job for the last 30 years. I can't tell you how many people that I've worked with and worked around that have come from so many differing backgrounds right. and, um, and, and what that does and what it has done for me, like, like OSI has given me everything in my life. Like, great places to live, great places to raise my children, uh-huh. wonderful opportunities to go to school, right? And wonderful opportunities to lead and to follow and and to be impactful every single day. OSI has done all that for me. Like I feel like I'm the luckiest person in the world right. to have had all these opportunities. And OSI is just a great place to not only grow as a professional, but to have a safety net for your family. Like when I deployed, people took care of my family. Right. I struggled. My friends came to my side. Like it's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful organization. And I can't say enough good things about it. Well, from leadership on down, uh, you know, the, everyone professes how, how much of a family environment OSI is. And uh, uh, from what you just said, seems to amplify that. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I can't reinforce that in, anymore. It's just, you know, once you're in OSI, you're always in OSI. And even with all the retired OSI agents, like when you talk with them, it's like you pick up right where they left off. And a lot of these historical things that these folks have been involved in over the years is just really awesome and amazing to hear that story. And I'm really surprised that this is my 30th year and, you know, OSI isn't that old. So I've been around like a third of the time. So, um, so now I'm turning into one of the old, guys pretty soon <laughs> and hopefully we'll be able to share a couple of my stories to the younger folks uh, well there's nothing wrong with being a veteran that's that's for sure uh let's uh, uh 
kind of look back a little bit now. Uh, I know hindsight's always twenty twenty. Okay, but if you could do it all over again, is there anything you would change about your OSI career? Wow. You know, I I, I don't even like thinking about that because, of <laughs> okay. course, there are there are things you know that have occurred. You know, especially, you know, things that happen in like combat zones and things that if I yeah, could go back yeah. and change things, I absolutely would yeah. change things. But you can't do that. Sure, so what I've done sure. is I, I take those experiences and those things that happen and I tried to turn them into learning experiences for myself and everybody around me because I did not want those events to be wasted. I see. Okay, very good. So uh, so you're so you take advantage of uh, uh, any and all situations, then it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, if, if you don't, then you've just wasted an opportunity to learn or to keep something from happening again or to make something better or to create a better environment for someone to work in. Sure, sure. Uh, now, what direction do you envision OSI going into the future since you, like I said, you this is your 30th year and you've seen a lot of things uh, change in OSI and, you know, flexibility and all the other good things. Uh, what do you uh, look ahead a little bit as far as uh, uh, projecting ahead? Uh, where do you see OSI going? Well, you know, obviously, you know, maybe this is an old guy thing, but but our workforce is so much smarter. It, like if you could like pick up our workforce now and drop them back to when I started, they're they're a thousand miles ahead of us in, you know, technology and education and process and everything else. Right. So so I see OSI becoming maybe a little bit leaner because we're faster and better. Uh-huh. Right. A little bit more, um, you know, focused because we have the tools to be more focused and right. a little bit more uh, directive in some of the things that we do. And I think that the other agencies, the other military investigative agencies are seeing about how well we have postured ourselves. Sure. Because one thing that OSI has done great is it, it has embraced technology and, right. and not held it off. You know, I remember the day that we got our first desktop computers in OSI. <laughs> right, right. And some of the old guys were like, those things are just going to slow us down. And all of us, we were like, no, this is going to speed us up. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. now I'm really careful when new technology comes on board. I make sure I say like, this is great, even if I don't understand it. Right. <laughs> what I do is I grab a hold of one of the young people and I'm like, hey, can you tell me exactly what this does, how it works and how it makes us better? And you know yeah. what? They can do it. Oh, yeah. Well, well, adaptation, uh, being able to adapt to uh, uh, technology, your surroundings and the various uh, evolution of things these days, uh, uh, I guess, is part and parcel with uh, what is making OSI, uh, you know, one of the premier uh, uh, organizations around. Right. And, you know, and it's a wonderful place. Again, you know, the, you know, the technology has changed. Right. And our processes have changed, but the quality of people that, that we are recruiting and bringing in this command, and it doesn't matter where you come from or who you are, like the quality of people is fantastic. Right. right? So the, so the thing that hasn't changed is the quality of our team and, and, and the power that we bring to the air force in general to help us continue, you know, to fly, fight and win and to do all of those things. Right, right. Very well said. Uh, now, obviously, uh, uh, these days, diversity and inclusion has been a very uh, uh, prominent topic uh, these days. Uh, why, in your opinion, sir, is diversity and inclusion uh, foundational to the success of an organization like OSI? Well, just like I said before, you know, what really makes us strong is the diversity of our corporate knowledge, 
Uh, right. And all the different experiences and where people are from and their backgrounds and who they are as a person. And that is what makes us powerful and and really a leader in the field in all these different areas, because we make sure that our workforce is built up of all types of people and all types of experiences right. and that all of those things are valued. Right. And we expect people to share things that will make the team better. So oh, that's yeah. really what makes us strong. Yeah. Sharing that knowledge is, is, is the key piece, I think. Uh, uh, and that's how we all learn, as you mentioned, and that's how we, how we grow as an organization. Uh, again, very good uh, advice. Now, uh, as far as uh, let's put on, let's put on a little a recruiting hat for you, sir, uh, briefly. What advice would you give someone who would like to join OSI? This is from, you know, a gentleman who's seen just about everything in OSI and who is uh, uh, now, uh, you know, celebrating your 30th year with the organization. Well, a couple things, you know, be curious, right? Because we want to recruit people who are curious people. So if someone, when I was working in the field, would show up and I would ask them, they'd be like, hey, I want to come into OSI. And I'm like, great. Um what year did we become a separate investigative agency? And what was the name of our first commander? Uh-huh. Yeah. And if they were like, uh, and I'd be like, listen, so I, so I pulled the John Purcell on him. I need you to go back and I need you to do a little bit of research and find out about who we are and why you think that you want to be part of the organization. Right. So, but if somebody came to my office and like, Hey, this is when you started, this is the first commander, general Carroll, and these are all these things. And here's your mission set. Then I'd be like, okay, why do you want to be part of the team? So I would just tell people, hey, if you are curious, you know, don't come in an OSI office and be like, I hate my job. I want to change because that's that doesn't make us want to bring you in either. Right. 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 But but it is perfectly fine to say like, hey, I did this other job. It maybe isn't the best fit for me. And I think OSI might be. And I've served my time in the other job and I have an opportunity to do something else. And I would like to know more about this organization to see if this is it. Yeah, and how they can share their specific skill sets to the betterment of OSI. Right. Very, very good. Uh, But before we wrap things up, sir, uh, is there anything else that you'd like to add? I just want to say that um, thanks for this opportunity. I I wasn't expecting it just like I wasn't expecting to find anything out about my background and my history, you know, (laughs) and where I came from. And it's a complete surprise to me. But what I can tell you is that OSI is a great organization We work hard to continue to be a great organization. If you want an opportunity to lead early in your career, OSI is a place to do that. If you want an opportunity to have an impact on the big Air Force and the little Air Force, OSI is a place to do that. And if you want a place where you can develop as a professional and a person, OSI is a great place to do that. So that's what it's done for me. And I just want to make sure that everybody understands that I just was kind of along for the ride. I jumped on the OSI (laughs) boat and it's taken me all these places. And there's lots of seats left on that boat for many, many more people. So thank you for giving me the opportunity just to kind of throw that out. No problem. And uh, it's been great to have you. Now, our guest has been Office of Special Investigations, Deputy Director of Behavioral Sciences, Mr. Terry Krebs. Sir, thanks again so much for taking the time to be with us. We really enjoyed speaking with you today. All right. Thank you very much. And thanks to all of you listening for tuning in. For OSI Today, my OSI journey, I'm Wayne Amon saying so long for now.